0: we get the party started so everyone welcome and thank you for joining us today to our um friday virtual coffee break we're super excited as we have ben on the line with us who's going to talk through some um details about property syndication we will have a series in june um which we'll be announcing soon um so just a little update on the training calendar we have a session on monday on leadership um which will be a great leader program on you don't need to be an actual leader with people underneath you. We'll talk a lot about personal leadership as well as leadership of leading a team um, too, so I suggest that you go to our training calendar and commercial university. Look for that session on Monday. We will have a session for the next two Fridays in the month of May and then we'll be posting our June training calendar. Um, We will be instituting email reminders so you all asks and you will be receiving. Um, so some of the email reminders for the sessions have been coming for me and we're working on a process to make sure that you get those um, along with the Zoom link before each session and when you register. Um, so look for that and coming soon is calendar integration. I know several of you have emailed me today. I want to let you know that it's coming. We heard you loud and clear. It's something that we're working with the IT folks to make sure that we can institute that um, coming soon. So just some of those housekeeping updates, um, and take it, I'll hand it over to you, Dan, take it away.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, well, good morning, everybody. I Hope you have your coffee, depending on where you are. Uh, Show mine, there we go, where you are in the country. Um, and uh, welcome. Um, ooh, we're still on, am I still on? Okay, I has yeah. got a beep in my headset there. Sorry about that. Um, All right. So welcome to uh, Ben Kogut. Ben, uh, he'll tell you a little story. So I've known Ben for a long time, although we haven't been in regular contact. So just a shout in and out here. Shout out to the To the world of social media, you know, I I connected, kind of reconnected with Ben on LinkedIn and I saw he was doing some cool stuff and I said, hey, Ben, how you doing? Would you like to speak at one of our coffee breaks? And we got caught up. And uh, so Ben's going to talk a little bit about HGH Investments, the syndication firm he's a partner with, also a little bit about his career and how he got to be in what he's doing. I thought that'd be interested for uh, some of our brokers just to hear, you know, he was a broker himself. And that's how I knew him at one time. And now he's doing something else. And just to hear about that. So without further ado, Ben, I'm going to turn it over to you. And um, as Christina would always say, type in questions in chat, unmute yourself. This is casual. This is coffee break. So let's have fun.
2: Yeah, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate being invited uh, to, to speak with you guys today. Uh, this is like a new world for me kind of speaking, but it's kind of just by putting myself out there by posting a lot more things on LinkedIn um I've been invited on so many things to kind of talk about real estate syndication talk about my story about how I got here from being an agent all the way through where we raise capital for commercial real estate syndications I think you and I knew each other over a decade ago uh at Gruban Ellis and um yep. man it's been quite the journey since then so um, thanks again for having me. And so, um, yeah, I mean, where do you want me to start, Dan? You want to... uh,
1: You can, uh, you know, I guess tell us a little bit, I mean, you can go through a little bit of your journey uh, just out of personal interest, but really we'd like to know is uh, a little, tell us a little about HJH. What do you buy? Where do you buy? Wh- what does it mean to syndicate properties? How do you find investors? I guess I'll throw those five things out there and you can.
2: Okay, so um, back, quick backstory. Got into real estate brokerage in 2004, um, have been a broker ever since. Uh, Got my CCIM, uh, then after the uh, the downturn, I went back to school and got my MBA. Then from there, I transitioned into doing asset management for a high net worth family office here in Austin, Texas. And then from there, uh, that ran its course, and then I decided to um, start a brokerage company, a development company, and in a, a real estate investment company. So what I'll talk more about is the investments and the syndication stuff that I'm up to because um, I think there's, uh, I've learned a lot along the way and I'd love to kind of educate everybody more about the benefits about real estate syndication because I think that that's, that's really like, especially right now with, with being how difficult it is to get access to liquidity in the debt markets um, this is just such a great tool for being able to, to grow a real estate portfolio from an investment standpoint. And so, um, so that's a little bit of background on me. Um, and so what is HGH Investments? So our HGH Investments is a boutique real estate syndication company. Our mission is to protect and grow investor capital. And so uh, in its simplest form, a real estate syndication is just the pooling of money from numerous investors and uh, organizing organizing these funds to go out and buy real estate projects. So for our case, what we do is we buy uh, retail, office, and industrial properties. What we, our specific criteria is we specialize in buying, we look for assets where at least 30% of the tenancy is triple B credit or higher with more than five years of term remaining on the lease. So in other words, we're buying things that have high credit tenants with long-term leases. So we know that when we buy that property, it's already cash flowing. Usually the numbers are significantly higher than that and it's cash flowing, it's stabilized. And we have this system where we basically go out, we're looking for something that fits in our box and we make a lot of offers, a lot, a lot of offers so um it's 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 a volume game before covid um you know really like the way for our business model would work would be something came on the market and we're talking like a normal market we're not in a normal market i think we can all agree on that (laughs) Um, uh so let's say something would come on the market it's got a high credit tenant good location uh, sometimes single tenant sometimes multi um and um let's say you know, you might expect it to trade somewhere in the seven, seven and a half cap range or something like that. So we would look at between 800 and 1500 deals a week that kind of fit in that, that box. And then out of those, we'll whittle it down. We'll find about six, we'll make offers on about 16 of them. And one out of 16 in general, on average, uh, is a deal where we're able to put it under contract in the nine and a half, 10 cap range. So there's a huge delta between the ask and what we're offering. And so the 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 magic is that we just gotta find throw out enough offers until you find someone that's motivated enough to uh, you know to sell. And they want that certainty because that's what we bring to the tables when we when we move forward with the deal, we're gonna get it done. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. yeah. So in other words, fast close, you have your own capital ready to go. Um, so, um, no, 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 not necessarily. Okay.
2: No, uh, we usually, we usually, okay. So here, here's, I'm going to give you guys three like things that we do. These are not rocket science things, but these are things that we do that help us win and anybody can take this. Okay. So number one, when we make an offer, we do not send letters of intent. We actually send a signed purchase contract. That's number one. Say, Hey, we're serious. But in that contract, in general, it's going to be about 60 days of due diligence, 30-day close, and maybe longer on both, or an option to extend with more earnest money. So no, we're not a quick close. We are not- Wait, So just,
1: Ben, just clarify that for one second. So what, you're saying no LOI because you think the signed purchase contract is, is like a more serious first step. Is that what you're saying?
2: So it's a, it's a multi-step process. So contract, yes, I think, I think there's a perception about it hey, we're ready to move forward. Let's, let's just cut down to the to business here and make it happen, right? That's number one. Number two, when we send an offer, a contract rather, um, we preemptively send uh, a list of references. Hey, they call this broker, call this seller, call this you know, investor, call any of these people and they will tell you out of their mouth that we do what we say we're going to do. Real simple. Just, make sure, just be upfront about that. Uh, and and three, again, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but
1: that's to, pr- that's to kind of like, cause you're not necessarily known in the market, right? So that's like, who is this HDAH? And you're just trying to give them some confidence that you're not just whatever
2: yeah. around. So our company was started about five years ago. Uh, we've acquired over 42 properties. Uh, we now have over wow. $225 million of assets under management. And um, yeah, yeah, we're not, Super well known in the market, but I, I think that um, with our social media and st- I started a podcast and just kind of put myself out there on things like this. Like, I wouldn't say we're well known, but I think we're starting slowly to, to grow, right? And so uh, the third thing that, we, sorry.
0: Okay. Oh, go ahead. I the third got it. thing that yeah. I
2: mentioned is uh, so a lot of the properties, so I'm in Austin, Texas. And my role in the team is investor relations and raising capital. Uh, The rest of my team is actually based uh, with our founder CEO in Wichita, Kansas. Right. So we are geographically diverse. um, And a lot of the assets are physically in, you know, in Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, Missouri, Kansas. Midwest is where we found a lot of success. Uh, Some you might call it secondary markets. Um, anyway, so the third thing I was going to mention that we do is we promise the seller or the broker, whoever we're talking to, that we will physically be on site within two weeks of being under contract. So in other words, like some people could throw in an offer and never show up at the property. And then you get to closing and then they show up at the property and like, oh, well, we didn't realize it was this or that or whatever. So we're saying, hey, we're going to get there. You know, within two weeks, we will be on site. So those are the three. So uh, to recap, send contracts, um, send references, and be on site. And then, of course, real simply, do what you say you're going to do. So that those are some of the tips that I can kind of float out there for ways to win a deal, right because we're not going to win on price uh, we're not you know um, we're not going to win on time we're not we're, so we don't okay, so let's take it one step further. So you made a comment about having money ready we, we don't we don't raise the okay. money until we have the deal, and the deal's been vetted, and we have the debt lined up. And we're ready to go, the de- uh, go, you know, so by the time, so then after everything's been vetted and we're ready to do the deal, then it actually comes to me. I go to the property and then I start raising capital for it. So that's, that's more or less kind of the process about how we go about doing things. Um, Interesting. What's your
1: typical investor profile? Uh, sure. are these sophisticated investors are they, you know,
2: I yeah, know. they're all Good they're check. all um, accredited investors, and so um, we people that we have relationships with. So what I like to tell people, your audience in particular, you have relationships already. People you went to high school, college, post college, blah blah blah, wherever you hang out, your social circles. There are people in your world that have access to capital that are sick and tired of the volatility of the stock market that want someone that have your level of you know resources being a cobalt banker and your experience to be able to go out and work together they already trust you so on and so forth to to be able to um you know partner together on a deal so uh, if anybody you know when everyone's like well, how do you find investors i'm like you have investors okay that's that's how i did it. by the way like I, i've only been doing this so from the so specifically from a raising capital guy. That's like how I'm marketing myself now. I've been doing this for less than two years. But just by putting myself out there, hey, I'm raising capital. Hey, this is the deal I did. Hey, this is the deal I'm gonna do. Stuff like that. Um, Just reconnecting with all these people and just staying in touch with people. And then um, you and I connected. Here's something else, guys. Um, I was never like someone that posted things on social media or LinkedIn in particular. And then I went on LinkedIn one day and this guy uh, named Yonah Weiss uh, did like a 10 day challenge, post some one thing on LinkedIn for 10 days. So I did that. And every morning I'd wake up and be like, what should I post there? And then something would come to my head and I'd post it. Next thing you know, like, it's like it exploded. I have no idea why or how, but like, um, so many people were reaching out. So I, you know, like if anybody has like a chip on their shoulder about putting things in social media, I would say let that go. That's the world we're in, and you got to put yourself out there. You know what I mean? And yeah. sometimes you're going to fall on your face and look like a moron. But most of the time, it's forgiving. You know, like no one's perfect, and it is what it is. You know? So let that go and just go for it. Um, okay. What else can we talk
0: about?
1: Ask uh, questions. There- yeah, Christina. There's some questions in here. If you want to throw them out to Ben, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely. Back so a bit. our
0: first question, yeah, our first question um, from Suzanne was: Are you still limited to 35 members in a syndication group? What are um, any other restrictions? Are there restrictions nationwide? Is it a state-by-state type of restriction?
2: Okay. So first of all, I'm not an attorney, so let's put that out there. Um, so uh, we usually do limit it to usually we get the money in within within less than 35 people. So that actually hasn't really been an issue. It's usually about $100,000 minimum. Sometimes we do less, just if, for whatever reason, uh, we have the ability to do that. Uh, number two, it's it's um, our investors are across the US as well as international, as well as people that are investing with their self-directed IRA. Uh, I heard you guys are gonna have a speaker talking yep. about that. is that going to be Dan Kay?
0: It is. Yeah. He's
2: a pro on that, for sure. Um, And um, uh, this is getting a little technical, but I'll plant a little seed. Um, So international investors, uh, we have had some people come in. When they put their money into a deal, it actually comes in as a loan. And when they're, so the numbers are the same. The returns are the same. But when they uh, make it as a loan, uh, there are pretty significant tax advantages because I think the returns that they get sent back to them is, is defined, I guess, as interest payments as opposed to dividend payments. And I think it's taxed at a better rate or whatever. And, um, and also, um, so I don't know if you guys have talked about cost segregation and, you know, accelerating. coming up,
1: Ben. It's coming up so, next week.
2: So that's another great topic. Uh, so all of our properties, or at least 80% of them, it, when and if it makes sense, uh, we will hire a third party company to do a cost segregation study so that we have the ability to accelerate the depreciation. And that will allow uh, our investors to get really, really significant, meaningful tax write-offs um, that we, we, we distribute those to all the investors And occasionally when we have the IRA money or the international money as a part of our partnership, they do not need tax write-offs, right? Because of the way that things are structured, like they don't, they just don't get that ability to take advantage of that. So that means that the pie is a little bit bigger for everybody else in the partnership to be able to kind of share in those write-offs. That make sense? Interesting.
1: I, I mean, there's some more questions I'm going to ask you. There's a whole bunch of questions in here, but uh, let me ask you one thing, which is what is the difference between a syndication and what used to be known as a tenants in common tick investment vehicle that kind of came up and then fizzled out a decade ago?
2: Um, let's see. I, first of all, not. Uh, <laughs> exactly the right person asked that okay that's
1: okay you can decline that's all right
2: i do know the difference i'm going to try to figure out how to explain it because um there are nuances and i'll tell you from kind of a reverse way to explain this because we have had people um 1031 exchange into a syndication and when they do that they actually come in using the tenant in common structure so, oh, that, wow. that's a whole other conversation. Right, maybe
1: we should table that one. Yeah, yeah that sounds. Com- we need an attorney on the phone for that one. Yeah, or an accountant.
2: It, yes, if anybody wants to talk about that, you can reach out directly to me, and I can, you know, you know, try yeah. to walk you through that.
0: So, you know, talking about money, how does one make money? Is it a management fee? Is it a share from an investment?
2: Okay, so uh, the way that we structure our deals. Um, which is, there's a million different ways to structure deals. It, w- w- our deals are structured where we pay an 8% preferred return. It's paid, uh, and that's an annual number. So let's, let's say someone puts up $100,000. That's 8% is $8,000 a year. And we pay it out monthly. So that's going to be $666.66 66. that will be ACH to your account on the 15th of the month starting on the first month after acquisition and on into perpetuity until we exit. And we split revenues 50-50 after that 8% preferred return. So if we're buying something, let's just round number it at a 10 cap. It might be a little less, it might be a little more. And then you put leverage on it. So we do put debt. Um, then that'll push our returns to, let's say, say 14%. 13, 14% out don't, somewhere in that range, depending on how much leverage and where we're at. Then uh, the first eight goes back to the investors first. They always get paid first before we do, before um, anything like that. Then, then let's say there's another, let's say 4% uh, remaining to, to be distributed. The investors will get two and our syndication team will get two. So that's how we make money uh, we we do charge a very and I mean and, and I'm not exaggerating it's a very minimal um, uh, acquisition fee and literally that's just to cover our expenses for um, all the due diligence that we go through the you know legal and all that kind of stuff um, the our company so this is this is something you guys should really listen to this and we represent. Unless you guys bring us a deal and that's totally fine. Usually we're bringing deals. Like we find deals on our own, uh, cobalt banker agents or whoever can represent us on a deal. Um, and so we can talk about that, how to collaborate, but also, um, our company, our CEO, uh, will represent the partnership and take a broker's fee on that. So, and he hangs his, he happens to hang his hat with Keller Williams.
1: No, well, that's not good. That's the wrong answer, Ben.
2: Well, I'm just being honest.
1: I'm just being all right, honest. All right. <laughs> you can go talk maybe, to maybe, him. Maybe we can go talk to him. they will recruit him over. Yeah, that's all right. Fine. All right.
2: That's good. Um, so anyways, but the point is like your people, anyone that's watching this right now, you guys can represent the partnership that you're going to create and bring in brokerage fees to Colville Banker, right? And that can be meaningful fees. So that, that is what, um, that's what kind of, so we have a, a staff of I think eight people and two part-times so we'll call it 10. So those brokerage fees are what fuels the, the marketing team and the acquisitions and the asset management and the management team, so on and so forth. Make sense. And yeah, then, um, excellent. so that's, it's, it's just real simple. Like there's no waterfall. It's 8% prep 50, 50 after that no asset management fees, so we are aligned. We do not get paid until you, the investor, gets paid first, and then we both get paid a bonus quarterly. It's real, real simple. Um, that works for deals that cash flow. It doesn't necessarily work for deals where you're developing or you're trying to do a value add. There's other structures to be able to do that. Like, for example, you probably don't have cash flow to pay an 8 pref. It'll just accrue, you know. But our deals have cash flows, so was, if we get cash coming in from rents, and we turn around and pay it to our investors, that's it's real simple. Great, thank you. I, I think
1: you, Anthony, you can unmute yourself. if You want to ask? You're kind of very answered. One of Anthony, Anthony asked. Uh, Anthony, who's with us in uh, Columbus, Ohio, said, "Would you broker? Would a broker rep HJH or the seller?" Um, and I think you explained that just a moment ago. Yeah. Um, and you also explained about taking a fee, and then I the last question is can brokers invest? I'm not sure Anthony, if you want to unmute and explain what you mean by that
0: uh, other- in, in other words you know if, if there is a fee, you know could a fee be rolled into to an investment and or can brokers invest their own money? I mean what are the qualifications in that regard
2: um it's Uh, it's, it's something that we should put, we can have a conversation offline about, uh, but in general, uh, the investors, the people that put cash into the deal, those are people that are accredited. Um, and if you wanted to roll a brokerage fee, um, it it would be just be viewed the same way. Um, and if, and then again, this is something that we can have a longer conversation offline about, but if you had. The other way, another tool that you could have in your toolbox, let's say you have a client that's like, I got all this money. I want to invest it, but I don't want to do nothing. I don't want to do anything. But you'd be like, hey, I know this guy, Ben. He's at HH Investments. They, he raises capital. We do have a way uh, to, to work together on that. Um, but again, that, that would be something I'd want to have an offline conversation about.
0: And what's your typical hold period?
2: Sure. So we... Um, There's a, let me say what, um, so we are prepared to hold it for a long, long period of time, more than 10 years, maybe even more than 20 years if we have to. But we aim to hold it, and it depends on the deal, five to seven years, somewhere in that range, could be 10. Um, And we structure it upfront with uh, robust reserve accounts so that if, and when a downturn like the one we're in right now occurs, we have capital available to sustain us through um, quite quite a while. Uh, every deal's different, uh, and we, we, we structure every deal a little bit differently. A single tenant, high credit versus a multi-tenant mix is just a different uh, strategy, so it depends. Last year, we bought and sold one deal. It was a uh, single-tenant Academy Sports uh, tenant that, was in Missouri. We bought it at the beginning of the year and we sold it at the end of the year and gave all of our investors their prepped the entire time and then returned their capital at the end. Uh, And and they they got a pretty significant uh, ROI on their investment.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned that one deal, how many other deals are you currently in? Is there a specific type? Um, and you know what areas are these deals in? And I'm assuming um, you mean what areas of the country are these deals in?
2: Yeah, so um, you know, maybe what I'll do is I'll provide you with a, a PDF that I have. That'd be great. We, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, we can, I can give that to you. You guys can distribute it however you want. Um, we disclose everything that we've owned, all the real returns about how we've done, but whether it be good or bad, uh, you mentioned somebody was in Columbus, Ohio. We recently bought a deal in Columbus, Ohio, I think in, uh, at the end of 2018 is what I see on my list. So we bought stuff in Ohio, Indiana, you know, like mostly like we're, we're open across the country, but where we find that we've been successful to find great deals that have great tenants and for whatever reason, uh, motivated sellers, it's been sort of in those secondary markets where we don't have quite as much competition.
1: That's, that's Cobalt Banker Commercials' uh, strong point. So mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be bringing you some deals uh, yes. or you'll find opportunities that we're listing because that's definitely the markets uh, that we're heavy in. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I was thinking, like, tell me about when you need capital to do like tenant improvements or something, were you saying that comes out of a reserve for each project? You don't have a cash call on the partners?
2: No, there's never going to be a cash call okay. um, for a variety of reasons. Uh, number one, I, again, it depends on the deal. Some deals will will anticipate that we're going to need um, capital to do some improvements or tenant uh, allowance or commissions or something like that. So that that would be one strategy. Or when we buy a deal that is an absolute triple net, and there will never be a need from the landlord to have capital, then we'll only we'll raise less um, in reserves. And so you know, if you know math, you know that. The more reserves we raise, the, the more the pie gets chopped up. Or in other words, the, the more people in the partnership. And so the returns actually aren't as good. But back to the very first thing I said, you know, our mission first is to protect the capital. So return of capital is more important than return on capital it is always how we're looking at everything. So that's number one. Let's, and then here, let's talk about something else that I think everyone should um, be thinking about is debt. Right, so the way that we have been structuring our deals is we do put debt on the properties. Um, it varies from you know whatever market rate is today. I don't even want to talk to what today market rate debt is going to be, but in general it's been seventy to seventy-five percent LTB. and um, it's been recourse. And so the way that we have structured uh, our deals and that we've been able to expand so rapidly is because. The recourse debt is being guaranteed, personally guaranteed by a partner of ours who happens to be an ultra high net worth individual. And it, it's not one guy. It's, it's uh, multiple people that we work with. We kind of diversify this, this strategy. But basically, it's, um, it's an investor who has room on his balance sheet. Uh, he partners with us. And in exchange, he's going to get um, somewhere between 20 and 22% of the partnership of the GP, just for kissing okay. the nut. He doesn't have to put up any debt at all. Uh, sorry, any capital. Um, he just comes in and he plays that role. He's the big dog and he personally guarantees the debt. And then we as a partnership all get to benefit from better terms. And then, um, yeah, that, so, so remember how I was saying it's 8% craft and it's 50-50 after that. So the 50% that's the, the general partnership, there, there's a lot of people in that 50%. Uh, twenty percent of that is the guy that signs the note. So then that leaves thirty percent, and there's still more people. I get compensated for raising capital. We have other, you know, pieces of that pie that get that get split out for other for the guy that finds the deal, um, and a couple of other things like that.
1: Super interesting, boy. There's a lot of questions here. I'm not sure where to go, Christina. <laughs> so Anthony's not shy here. He's basically saying, Hey, can I raise my hand to lease or manage one of your properties? How do you make the who is there an asset manager that makes those leasing decisions?
2: Sure. sure. So let's talk about how do we, how have we been able to scale it through management at standpoint?
1: And I, by the way, Anthony's just showing us a little static picture, so I can't see the grin on his face you sure. know, when he does, when he asks that question. Anyway, how do you, how do you do selection for management leasing?
2: Sure. Uh, so um, let's talk about that. So management is, I call it, we split it in half. And what I mean by that is the um, the physical, uh, mowing the lawn, picking up trash, fixing the roof, yada, yada, yada. That is handled third-party local. Okay, Collecting, and then the other half, I would call it, is the financial side. That's the collecting of rents, paying taxes, expenses, making the distribution, so on and so forth. That actually comes in-house yeah. for our uh, accounting team in Wichita, who's uh, tightly connected with you know, all our CPAs and all that stuff. So, um,
1: about lease and leasing, who makes leasing decisions, if it, you have,
2: so, yeah, so we have uh third party leasing as well. Um, and those decisions, we have uh, a gentleman in our office named Tim Selnick. Tim is uh, a 30 year industry veteran property management leasing guy. He, um, he kind of oversees all the local management teams. So the management teams will, um, report to him. And then he kind of reports to HGH headquarters and he's based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Got it. Okay. And is it, it, was
1: it fairly typical? I mean, I don't know. My experience is if someone brings you a deal, you do tend to, and they have quality people, they tend to win the leasing
2: and management. Is that not? It's uh, definitely.
1: Preferred how to say that it's definitely Uh, very common that there you go
2: when we've already done a deal with somebody and they are already having success being that leasing or management company absolutely um it really it's really just on a case-by-case basis for sure um but i'd you know welcome anybody to reach out to me and i can connect you with tim um you can go on our website i I think we have just about everything listed on there to see if anything is in your neck of the woods uh that you might you know find that it, it could fit in whatever it is that you guys are doing from a management or leasing standpoint as well, and we can have that conversation.
1: Cool. Is there anybody who wants to ask a question verbally other than in the chat? I don't know, some people like, feel free to unmute if you'd like to, just give that. This is my
0: coffee, this is excellent.
1: Yeah, and, and I don't know what it is. There, have, but... have a little
2: sip of coffee, y'all,
1: cheer. All right, All right. there you go. Uh, any, any, uh, anyone?
0: Or any questions that we didn't get to in the chat? Yeah and Fast and Furious, it's sometimes hard to make sure that we got all the questions. Yeah,
1: But feel free to unmute and ask yourself if you'd like. I think there was a, uh, Denise asked if you're, you have a separate LLC for each of the investments. Um,
2: yeah, yeah, yes, partners so yeah. is a standalone LLC, different investors, different, it, it's often a different person that guarantees the debt, different lender, just, it, but um, really the documents, are pretty much the same every time. Got it.
0: So, what happens um, when a deal doesn't turn out the way we expect it to, and go, starts to go sour?
2: Sure. So uh, it never
1: happens, right? Isn't that the answer, Ben? No, <laughs> Definitely.
2: no, man. No, you got to be honest. No, absolutely not. Things never. Things. Oh, you know this. Come on, like things are always going to go sideways. We're in that, We're in like the perfect example of that right now. So. Um, so I'll tell you what we're doing during COVID. Maybe that's another way to answer that because uh, things are different. Mm-hmm. So um, so back in early March, uh, we approached about 120 of our retail tenants starting with them. And we preemptively offered them an opportunity to not pay April and May rent to start. And in exchange on an individual basis, we've been negotiating um, uh, lease extensions. So it's like, hey, you know, either don't pay or don't pay now and pay that in 2021 or at some future date, but in exchange, can you go ahead and sign off on that five-year extension option that was already in your lease or some variation in between, or you have this uh, clause in your lease that gives you, uh, you know, co-tenancy clause or something like that. Can we get rid of that? So we've been able to do that. So it's really uh just kind of it, it depends and so back to something i was mentioning before um we do have robust um reserve accounts that um are going to help us kind of navigate you know smooth out the differences uh and then one more point if um if a deal does not receive income because we're not receiving rents then we do not pay that eight percent preferred return okay that number will accrue. And again, they are going to get paid. They mean the investors, they're going to get their money first before we as the sponsor will ever get paid. So we're, we're, you know, we're all aligned in the same direction and um, and we're just up front with them. It's like, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to help our tenants. We don't want to force them to pay us rent because they may not come. They may not survive this. Right. So it's our job. I mean, we're putting on the mentality that it's our job as landlords and responsible, um, you know, investors to try to help our tenants survive this shit storm that we're all in. Sorry. If that was bad word, but, um, <laughs> um, so that's, that's the reality. That's, that's what we're facing right now. I'll tell you one more thing um, that surprised me uh, as of yesterday. Okay. You know, everybody's, Applying for PPP loans and EIDL loans, um, I didn't know if it was going to work, but we did go ahead and apply for PPP loans on behalf of the partnerships. And shockingly, um, it seems like it's it's actually applying. The government, the IRS, you know, these are look. I don't want to I don't want to get into the, uh, the the legalities and the taxes of it, uh, but apparently, our advisors told us not apparently, our advisors explained to us that these guarantee payments to our investors are qualified under the PPP loans. So really? Yeah. I just, I've, you know, oh, as wow. an investor myself, yeah, I just got distributions today. Today's the 15th um, as a result of that. So kind of surprising, but I'm not sad about it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's interesting.
1: So a couple other kind of I'll throw these questions together cause we're Getting towards the end of our time here, but uh, one is: uh, Can investors? If you know, you mentioned that like you're you're able to hold 10 or 20 years. That's you know, but you may be shorter. If an if a partner wants to get out for whatever reason, unforeseen circumstance. Is there an ability to exchange to one's position, or are you, you know, going to put that in your estate and deal with it later? So that's one question. And then the second question that came up, not related, but I'll just throw it out there, it's because it'll probably answer both. Uh, is who do you ten- typically go to for lenders? Do you go to just do you go to banks? Uh, you know, I take it t- t- You wouldn't go to like life companies and stuff, but whatever. Just so two questions there.
2: Right. So if you need to, get, if you are somebody that thinks you're going to need to get out within before we projected how we're gonna hold it, and again, it's deal by deal, then in general, I would say this is not for you, okay? This is not a get in and get out kind of thing in general. Sometimes it does, but in general, we we don't want people that really feel like they're gonna need their money. So having said that, uh, there's two ways uh, to handle that. Number one, uh, if you need to get out, uh, we will offer uh, at par, So if the valuation's gone up or down or whatever, uh, it's whatever you came in at, that's, that's the valuation that, uh, we can offer to the other partners in the partnership to give them an opportunity to, to, you know, increase their position on the deal maybe. Uh, and if nobody in the partnership wants, so they're going to get first shot at it. If nobody in the partnership wants to put up the money and buy their shares, then, um, then you have the opportunity to replace yourself. Maybe you have somebody else that wants that position and has the liquidity and for whatever reason you want out, then you can try to replace yourself. Um, we will, we'll reserve the right to you know, approve or deny that person, but it's mostly just because we don't want to have nefarious people in our partnership. So as long as everything's kosher, <laughs> it really shouldn't be an issue. Um, but honestly, uh, it doesn't happen. Actually, I've never seen it happen. Uh, it could happen. Um, it might happen, you know, soon because of the situation we're all in. Um, and we'll just have to cross that bridge when we get there. Um, and then the other lenders,
1: lenders, what kind of lenders do you use?
2: Yeah. So it's deal by deal. Um, we have to explore what makes sense. Um, in general, Let me just think for a second. In general, it's going to be like local and regional bank debt in general, Um, unless on occasion we'll buy a deal that has debt that we can assume. And that could could be a range. Uh, Like, for example, we're under contract to buy a deal that has a very large defeasance penalty should uh, it get paid off. And so we are in the process, maybe potentially of acquiring that debt. Um, And that's, that's a whole other conversation too, but that's, um, I don't know if it's CMBS, but it's, it's a larger, you know, company. So again, you got to look at every deal on a deal by deal basis and what the goals are. So
1: yeah. Got it. Uh, okay, I don't know, Boy, there's still more questions popping. I don't know if there's any, anyone yeah. can unmute. Uh, Denise asked if if it's a tenant in common structure. Um, yeah. No, yeah, I didn't think so. And, and just by the way, so Denise and, and Alina asked questions about uh, that question, Denise, and there was one other question in here. Uh, we are gonna have another guest who happens to be based in Austin um who does 1031 exchanges in a tenant in common structure so we'll talk about that in a few weeks so just a different option so maybe save some of those questions this uh where this is specifically about syndications
0: um
1: again anyone want to christina anyone want to unmute before we we wrap our coffee unless you anyone's getting yeah, more don't coffee hesitate.
0: i know we've been going for about 45 minutes now so if there's any other questions speak now forever hold your peace christina this is denise Denise, Senior. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I wanted to ask, what is a good uh, deal right now
1: for him, given the situation of the markets?
2: Yeah, so, um, we we think that we're in a little bit of a pause situation to figure out where cap rates are going to settle. But what we're thinking uh, is coming down the pipeline, we've made some offers on, are some good quality sell these back deals, which is not actually what we've done. So we're pivoting like a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I'm, I'm more interested in in industrial. I think that it's going to be more opportunity in our market. I'm kind of thinking in general that America is going to be more inclined to bring manufacturing back to America from overseas, just in general um and you know we'll see i mean i uh, um as long as it's a great quality tenant um that you know some tenants are crushing it right now so uh that's that's the kind of thing that we're looking for right now Great. all right
0: great. any other questions All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And especially thank you, Benjamin, for joining us today. This was a lot of great information. I'm getting several thank yous in the chat. Um, And as we promised, he will be sharing his PDF document with us. You can find that resource along with the recording in Commercial University. Um, so if you have any other questions, you know how to reach me. Otherwise we will see you on Monday with coach K to talk about leadership and we'll see you next Friday to talk through some cost segregation.
2: Yeah. If anybody wants to reach out to me, you can find me on LinkedIn, yep. Ben Kogut or Ben at hjhinvestments.com or on the socials I, at Ben Kogut, K-O-G-U-T, all that good stuff. So yep. I'm happy, Perfect. you know, to be a resource for you guys. No problem.
1: And he's out there. He's doing his videos on LinkedIn. So if yeah. you want to see someone who uh, overcame, uh, I won't say introvert, but uh, you're out there. So thanks, Ben, very much. <laughs> appreciate it. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks, y'all. Thank you. All right.
0: Thank you, everyone. Stay safe and healthy and have a great weekend. Take
1: care. Thanks. Bye.
2: Cool beans.